0: Sometimes you need to hit the pause button as a clinician um, and a researcher and say, hang on, this is what my underlying assumption is. We want to be evidence based practitioners, but in fact, this is just how we should practice. Ethics is every part of every clinical decision that we make. And what it
1: is that we do is we make
0: lives better. Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode in Speech Pathology Australia's Speak Up podcast series. I'm Mary Woodward, Speech Pathology Australia's Senior Advisor, Justice and Mental Health, and today I'm delighted to be joined by <coughs> Melanie Breeze. Melanie is a Senior Speech Pathologist in the North Metro Older Adult Mental Health Services in Western Australia. Uh, Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, Mary. So Melanie, I I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more
1: about where you work? So I work in um, a specialist mental health um, unit in uh, North Metro Perth um, for older adults, usually over 65, but they can be as young as 50. We've got two um, acute inpatient psychiatric assessment units, and one of those has involuntary patients.
0: Okay.
1: Um, so the patients will have um, the sort of d- disorders of ageing, um, such as um, stroke, progressive neurological disorders, or maybe a dementia and diabetes heart disease, but they also have a mental health diagnosis, such as a depression, anxiety disorder, um, a delirium, late onset schizophrenia, bipolar affective disorder, and quite a number of them have the behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia, which are the non-cognitive symptoms of dementia, such as agitation, aggression, depression, um, delusions, hallucinations, etc. Wow, so it's quite a complex caseload, um, and um, ma- so our patients will really have, you know, the normal ageing thing, um, d- difficulties, physical and neurological disorders, cognitive factors, those behavioural factors, and also be affected by um, medications. Being on a wide range of medications, mm. and um, there are often competency issues as well. Um, so, can so, I just ask you a
0: bit more about the medication? Um, Issues that you mentioned.
1: Yes. Um, so, um, so medication um, is unfortunately um, really a, a big part of a mental health management. I mean, obviously, their environmental um, factors and behavioural approaches are tried, but really, in the, um, for the for this population, medication is a large part of the treatment. Mm. And um, as you may know, that there are a lot of side effects of medications affect the swallow. Um, so I'm closely working with the medical team assessing and monitoring changes in swallowing. I mean, for instance, there's a lot of medications cause, um, a dry mouth. They're on anticholinergic medications. You might find that, um, patients who have got these, um, psychiatric aspects of dementia are on antipsychotic medication, which blocks dopamine in the brain. Whereas patients that maybe have a coexisting Parkinson's disease, um, their medications in, in increase the dopamine. Yeah, so it's really challenging. So uh, you've got patients with um, dementia who are having their psychosis treated but end up getting Parkinsonian symptoms, and you've got patients with maybe um, end stage Parkinson's disease which become quite psychotic. Mm. So it can become really, really complex. Um, And as we know, you know, a lot of medications will affect many aspects of the swallowing mechanism. You know, the motor functions, (coughs) lubrication, as I mentioned, muscles, Mm. and of course, the central nervous system. Mm. So and a lot of our patients are treated with, as I say, antipsychotics, uh, mood stabilizers, antidepressants, Alzheimer's medications, anti-Parkinsonian drugs. So it can become quite complex. Mm. Um, And of course, sometimes they can get seriously unwell with you know there's a neurologic um neuroleptic malignant syndrome and serotonin syndrome etc and lithium toxicity and things like that um so um we an example might be um that the um consultants are um Trialing different medications, and then they will usually consult with me. Let them let me know that they're increasing the dosage of antipsychotics so that I can monitor the the, um, the swallow function very very closely. And I'll often be called in to assess a patient because the consultants are um, interested to know whether the the, the swallowing change, um, which often coexists with a general deterioration, is due to the change in medications, um, the general progression of the dementia. Or another um, new neurological event, such as a TIA or stroke. So we work really, really closely to get together. Yeah, I
0: was just going to say, it sounds like it it must be absolutely vital to have that close collaboration with other members of the multidisciplinary team.
1: Yes, absolutely. So the multidisciplinary team um, consists of who you would expect. So we've got, as I say, we've got a a really strong medical team. We are um, the consultants are. Um, very available and very active. Um, so we have our consultants, our registrars and our medical officers. And, of course, we have a, a good nursing team with a lot of really good clinical specialists. We have OTs and physios and social workers and dietitians, of course, but we also have a, a very active clinical psychologist and pharmacist. And I find, obviously, I work closely with a dietitian, as you would in the, the general um, um, adult caseload, but also quite closely with a pharmacist about these um, uh, the medication issues and the effect on swallowing. So she's really quite a source of information so I try to keep try and keep up to date with her help on all the new medications that come in and then do my you know um, research on the effects on swallowing and the evidence base.
0: How wonderful, that, so. how wonderful to have mm. such a, such a strong team of, of so many different disciplines. that's great.
1: Yes, yes. It, it does work very well. We do work very well together, actually. I must say,
0: now, Melanie. Before I interrupted you with my <laughs> with my question about the um, the medication side effects, I think you were beginning to mention um, something about competency. Issues. Yes. I was wondering if you can tell us a bit more about that.
1: Yes. Obviously, in this caseload, um, there are a lot of sort of medical ethics and competency issues. I mean, obviously, we do have competence. Uh, we do have ethical issues in the general. Um, adult population with patients that are non-compliant with our recommendations. But in this population, we do have um, a number of patients who um, haven't, um, aren't considered competent to making decisions which are in their best interests. So, I mean, we do have quite a few dementia patients and just because they've got dementia, it doesn't necessarily mean they're not competent, Mm -hmm. but some of them are not. And that is a decision which is made by the consultant psychiatrist. So then we have to look at um, whether a patient is competent to make a decision, any medical decision, and of course that involves swallowing of my recommendations and, you know, their adherence to that if not we we um we have to team discussions on well if the patient can't make um their own decision then they do they have a competent des- decision maker um and um are those is that decision maker making decisions which are in the patient's best interests, and if there if there isn't anybody that can make um, decisions which are in patients' uh, best interest, then a guardian is usually appointed. So within that process, the multidisciplinary team is is quite closely involved because obviously the guardian is coming to the patient afresh and wants to be fully informed of, of the whole situation um, from the point of view of each discipline so that we will have consultations with the guardian. They'll listen to um, our opinions and our recommendations and make a decision which is in the patient's best interest. So that's, you know, really quite interesting as well. Yeah
0: now you've you've spoken a lot about the swallowing difficulties of, of this population and i'm and I'm sure that that takes up quite a lot of your quite a lot of your <laughs> clinical time um I was just wondering and I suppose particularly in relation to the competency issues um whether you're involved at all in issues around people's ability to communicate um, and you know understand decisions and express their their choices etc
1: yes, obviously communication is a big part um, of Um, of this communication difficulty is a big part of this um, population. Um, Sadly, a lot of the patients um, that were with us are sort of certainly for the end of stage um, dementia, then they... um, really their communication is quite limited, um, so that they're not, um, I'm not able to do any treatment with them. Um, and even, um, groups, some patients, um, can cope with a group setting and group treatment. But having said that my, I'm extremely time poor in terms of my service. Um, and, um, I really don't do much communication work at all because the, 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 um, the emphasis is on dysphagia because of the risks involved. Mm. Um, but obviously, yes, communication um, is very important, especially in end-of-life issues and in patients making, um, being able to communicate their wishes and us understand what they are. So really most of it is done in a, in a very, um, as part and parcel of my dysphagia assessments and um, my management of the patient, making sure that we can represent their best wishes and also um, Working quite closely with obviously family members um, and counselling them um, and ensuring that they are able to communicate what is the patient's wishes if the patient can't themselves. Mm,
0: so advocating for the patient and, and at times for their family.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, and I must say um, your, your the, my point about service provision, um, given being so time poor, I really cover that. I give, do a lot of um, education to um, the staff and to carers of uh, patients and family members, and I try and um, sort of cope with my lack of time to do more individual communication work with generic um, educational materials, um, and information on, you know, communication, and dementia, different types of dementia, because it's extremely varied across the different types of dementia, and on dysarthria and voice.
0: And I think, uh, I think with, yeah. with the sort of population that you've been describing, um, many of whom, as you say, may not be in a position to actually be able to engage in direct therapy. Um, yeah, the, the work that it sounds like you're doing, um, in terms of, Environmental changes and educating the people who are working with them, so that they can hopefully communicate more effectively with them. You know that that's that's invaluable.
1: Yes, 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 yes. I do um, a lot of environmental um, changes. I mean, even as a little example, we all know um, with patients that have, um, you know, um, a, a right hemiplegia or, or maybe in a right facial weakness, that one of our recommendations is to head tilt to that um, weak side to tighten the muscle muscles to direct the food and fluid down the stronger side. Well, obviously that's a recommendation that we give verbally to patients. A lot of our stroke patients can cope within the normal population, but within my population, my my um, patients wouldn't necessarily, even if they understood, they wouldn't necessarily remember that. Yeah. So one of the environmental recommendations is to get the nursing staff to position the patients mm-hmm. Um, in the dining room in such a way that they're um, likely to turn round to that weak side to notice somebody coming in or there's a point of interest. So it encourages them to look to that weak side um, yeah. as a strategy during their, you know, during their eating at, at mealtimes. So um, you're,
0: you're really having to having to think about how you would adapt um, what might be kind of more um, widely known or kind of general speech pathology strategies
1: to the specific needs of this population yeah. Yeah. yes absolutely and, and that's what I find really interesting because I sort of sort of person I quite like looking outside the box so I'm always trying to come up with a different way of doing things and it just makes um all the scenarios you know very very interesting because they are you know so also completely different and you're always thinking of a way um to set up the environment um and um you know obviously Uh, manage your patients um you know optimally um yes well thank you so much melanie and i know it's been brief
0: (laughs) um i know that we could talk for hours about this um but i think that's really given us a, a great um great insight into the sort of valuable work that you're doing so thank you so much for sharing that with us today
1: thanks mary it's an absolute pleasure thank you
0: we hope you enjoyed this week's conversation Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.